0: today marks the 111th observance of Mother's Day in this nation. Here's the thing, we observe Mother's Day not because our country tells us to, but because God tells us to. It's in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12 where this is given as the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. What's so very fascinating is that this is actually the first of the commandments, among the Ten Commandments, to focus on person-to-person relationships. The previous four commandments all focused on our relationship with God and how we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first one to address person-to-person relationships. And it starts with the most basic relationship of all, the parent-child relationship. But if you turn over to the passage we just read in Ephesians chapter 6, you'll see that this is not just a command relegated to Mosaic law. This is a command that gets repeated in the New Testament because Paul says these words, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may, be, may enjoy long life on the earth. The fact that this Mosaic command is repeated in the New Testament indicates that it is just as applicable today as it was when given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. And this morning, what I want to do is simply spend time today considering the implications of this command to honor your father and your mother. And really it boils down to two implications. The first is that children are expected to honor their parents unconditionally. Now, I know what you're thinking. He just threw up that unconditional term, and I don't know that I agree with that. Well, let me defend it for a moment. What does it mean to honor your parents unconditionally? When you look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, or Ephesians chapter 6 in the first three verses, what's so very interesting and challenging about this command is that it offers no qualifications. Nowhere does the Bible say, honor your father and mother as long as they do blank. Honor your father and mother if they do blank. Honor your father and mother until they do blank blank nowhere does the bible nowhere does the word of god identify conditions or parameters that would disqualify parents from being honored and that makes this command hard to accept sometimes because the truth is that there are many parents who on their own merit do not deserve honor there are many parents who are abusive. There are many parents who have abandoned their children. There are many parents who are manipulative and neglectful. And you can name many different adjectives to describe some horrible parents. There are many parents who do not deserve honor based on their own merit. So why did God instruct us to honor our parents When so many don't deserve it? I think there are three answers to that question. The first is this God instructed us to honor our parents because there are no perfect parents. There are some great godly parents out there, there are some great godly parents sitting in this audience today. There are some, though, that are the exact opposite of perfection. There are no perfect parents. God made it very clear in in Scripture that perfection eludes us because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and parents are no exception. Parents make mistakes, and unfortunately, some parents completely fail at their parental responsibilities. Since parents are not perfect, God instructs us to honor the position rather than the person. In other words, honoring one's parents is about respecting the role that they've been given rather than the individual that they are. It's the same principle that's applied to the President of the United States. You may not like his agenda. You may not like his policies. You may not like his character. But you are expected to respect the office that he holds. Here's the thing. Without this command, we would equate honoring our parents with either pleasure or merit. We would say that in order to honor our parents, they would either have to make us happy or they would have to earn it. We would simply honor them based on whether or not we thought they deserved it. But God doesn't expect us to treat people based on what they deserve. God expects us to treat people based on the way he treated us. And so, throughout the Bible, you come across instructions like Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, which tells us to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Or you'll come across Luke chapter 6 and verse 36, where we're told to be merciful as your Father is merciful. Therefore, by instructing us to honor the position of parenthood, God established a precedent for the parent-child relationship that supersedes the inadequacies of parents. God instructed us to honor our parents because there are no perfect parents, and there never will be perfect parents. But in addition to that, God instructed us to honor our parents because respect for authority begins at home. The Bible presents three spheres of human authority that Christians are instructed to respect. The first is the home where, as we've already seen, parents serve as the authoritative figures and children are instructed to obey your parents and the Lord. The second is the civil government where a variety of individuals and or institutions may serve as the authoritative figure and citizens are expected to be subject to the governing authorities. And the third is the church. Where elders or shepherds serve as the authoritative figures, and members are instructed to obey their leaders and submit to them. See, God instituted such spheres of authority because God cares about order. As Paul pointed out in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Or to say it another way, God is not a God of chaos, but of order. And because God cares about order, he established spheres of authority in this world to maintain order among people. Civil leaders, church leaders, parents, they're all endowed with certain levels of authority because God intends for the universe to be ordered. And it's in the arena of the home, the first arena of authority with which we have contact, that respect for authority is to be taught and learned. If I can't come to understand honor and respect for the authority that is established in the home, then how will I ever come to understand it in the context of the church or the context of the government? Therefore, God instituted this command to honor our parents so that we would respect his design of order. And by honoring our parents, or at least the position Of parenthood, children learn to honor other positions of authority that God expects them to recognize. There is one final reason why God instructed us to honor our parents, and that's because obedience is temporary. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the Ten Commandments, God never used the word obey. Exodus chapter twenty and verse twelve says, "Honor your parents." Never does it mention obeying. Your parents. Now, Paul, in his household codes that we read there in Ephesians chapter 6, he instructs children to obey their parents, and then he qualifies what obedience means when he quotes the honor your father and mother command. Based on Paul's instructions, we can conclude that obedience is an aspect of honoring our parents, at least up until the point one begins his or her own home. See, from the beginning of creation, God expected children to eventually leave the home. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, after God introduced Adam to Eve, the following command is presented. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Leave. There's a biblical principle for you to leave. And there's some parents here saying, amen, preach it, brother. But here's the real point. You're not always going to be expected to obey your parents because there's a point at which you're going to leave or you're supposed to leave. When you become a parent, when you start your own home, obedience is not the way you honor your parents anymore, but there are ways you do that. For instance, there's going to come a time where you're going to be expected to honor your appearance through appreciation. Now, appreciation does not mean pretending they are perfect. Appreciation does not mean ignoring the mistakes that they have made. Appreciation does not mean agreeing with everything they do, say, or think. Appreciation does not even mean okaying their wrongs appreciation means realizing that god used them to bring you into the world without your parents you wouldn't exist god made a choice to use your parents to be the ones who bring you into existence for all of their mistakes for all of their flaws for all of their problems, they were still God's choice. And so we need to realize that regardless of how we feel toward our parents, God still used them. And we can appreciate that at the very least. Appreciation ultimately, though, means listening to what your parents have to say. You're not required to heed every instruction or piece of advice that you receive from your parents. But Proverbs routinely indicates that a wise person does not despise the teaching of their parents, such as the case in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 22 through 25. And so appreciation means you listen to what they have to say because you recognize that they have some level of experience and or wisdom to offer. Now, I know even this realm of honoring your parents, to appreciate them, can be extraordinarily difficult for some of us, who, aren't, who do not feel safe maintaining a relationship with our parents. But just remember, you can honor without exposing yourself to danger. You can honor without opening yourself up to hurt again. You can honor without having to trust again. And there are times when we're going to need to appreciate the fact that they brought us into existence. And that is a way in which we can honor them. But another way in which the Bible expects us to honor our parents as we transition out of that obedience category is by caregiving. It's particularly in the book of First Timothy that this comes to light. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4, Paul wrote... If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. In other words, Paul expected Christians to care for their elderly parents. In fact, Paul considered this to be so important that failure, failure to care for one's parents was equated by him to a denial of faith. Just a few verses later in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, he wrote, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The Bible presents an expectation that we will honor our parents in their later years by providing the care that they need, just like they provided for us when we were younger. And that is exactly what Jesus was doing on the cross when he told John, Behold your mother, in reference to Mary. And the point is that obedience is a temporary trait of the parent-child relationship. But honor is a permanent one. And for this reason, God instructed us to honor our parents. So when we read the honor your father and mother command, what we're reading is an instruction to children, and every living person is a child, so this command is applicable to everybody. We're reading an instruction to children that places the onus on them to treat their parents the way God intends. However, this command doesn't just speak to children because the honor your father and mother command also implies that parents are expected to live in such a way that deserves to be honored. One of, if not the most notable passage in all of the bible for women is proverbs chapter 31 and proverbs chapter 31 describes a virtuous woman as one who is hardworking, provides for her family serves those in need prepares for the future and speaks with wisdom and kindness and it's worth noting that all of these descriptions address various aspects of what she does But I don't think the emphasis of Proverbs chapter 31 is really on what she does. I think the emphasis is on who she is. Because part of this expectation, this means of deserving to be honored, is parents providing a godly example. There are two non-negotiables for Christian parents who want to deserve honor, and one is to provide a godly example. Going back to Proverbs chapter 31, I want you to read what verse 28 through 30 says. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Her children and her husband call her blessed and praise her not because of all the activities that she juggles but because she is a woman who fears the lord it is who she is that is remembered long term not what she did and this proverb begins back in verse 10 by saying who can find a virtuous wife or who can find a wife of noble character it's really about character, not about activity. And when you grasp that distinction, that Proverbs 31 woman is virtuous, not because of what she does, but because of who she is, then you realize what you do as a parent is not as important as who you are. Now, don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you can do sinful things and it's okay as long as you're a good person on the inside. What I am saying is that your character matters more than your activities. Your children will learn more from your character than from your ability to juggle the calendar and keep the plates spinning. Twenty years from now, they may not remember how much you got done, but they will remember who you are. Yes, moms and dads must do But moms and dads must first be, because what you do is not nearly as important as who you are. Never let the hustle and bustle of life prevent you from maintaining your godly character. Because we need to remember that godly character is so powerful that it has the ability to convert an unbelieving spouse, according to what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 3. And not only did Peter say your godly character has the power to convert an unbelieving spouse, but he also said that your godly character is of great worth in God's sight. He's saying that the thing God finds most attractive is your character. And as a result, he expects mothers and fathers, for that matter, to model godliness. Parents must provide a godly example but the other non-negotiable of a parent who wants to live in such a way that they deserve to be honored is that they must provide a spiritual education. One of the most simple yet beautiful statements about a mother in all of Scripture is said by Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse 5, where he writes, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. In other words, Timothy, who... who Paul identifies as his son in the faith. Timothy was the godly man that Paul so admired because he inherited his faith from his mother and his grandmother. Now, faith is not genetic. We are not born with faith. It's not woven into our DNA. It's not passed down through our chromosomes. Faith is not transmissible that way, nor is it transmissible through osmosis. Your mother and grandmother cannot hug faith into you. The only way faith can be passed down, the only way faith can be instilled is through learning. Notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and 15 as he carries on this thought. He says, but as for you, referring to Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. We can infer that his education in the scriptures was conducted by his mother because Jewish parents were tasked with the responsibility of teaching their children not only what God had done for them, but also what God commanded them. Because you can go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise. The idea being conveyed here is that in the home, the parents are going to set about the task of educating their children spiritually. They're going to be the instillers of faith. And they're going to do it so predominantly in the home that it's as if every waking moment is filled with spiritual education. Many parents today want someone else to handle the spiritual education of their children. Maybe they want the preacher during worship service to take care of that. Or they want the Bible class teacher to take care of that. Or they want the youth minister to take care of that. And while all of those individuals are tools that can serve as assets in the formation of your child's faith, I nor a Bible class teacher, nor Ben McGreevy, nor Craig Middleton, nor Ben Hogan, nor, for that matter, the elders here are specifically tasked with the faith development of your child. That's your job. My task is a little girl named Leah and a little girl named Micah somewhere back there. They have been specifically assigned to me to instill faith in I may never be a great preacher. I may never speak to thousands. I may never be one of the most well-known men in the brotherhood of my day, and I'm completely okay with that because all I care about, well, no, I won't say all. The thing I care about the most is making sure those two little girls follow Christ. If those are the only two individuals that I lead to Christ in my entire life, I'll die a happy man, because that's my number one job. Parents, it's our responsibility, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, to bring our children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's our primary responsibility. And if I want to be a parent who deserves to be honored, I better be doing that. I want to share with you a story I heard as we wrap up about a company that was trying to hire stagecoach drivers. They would bring in applicants and they would ask them this question. They would ask them, how close can you drive the stagecoach to the edge of the cliff as you round the mountain? How close can you drive the stagecoach to the edge of the cliff as you round the mountain? Knowing that they had treacherous terrain, knowing that they had difficult roads, knowing that circumstances were not always easy in those days, that was the question the company wanted answered by its potential drivers. First guy comes in and says, I can get it within three feet of the edge of the cliff. No problem. Second guy comes in and says, oh, I can get it within one foot of the cliff. No problem. Third guy comes in and says, I'll keep it as far away from the cliff as I possibly can. And he got the job. Parents, that's our job. Not to see how close to the edge we can get with our kids. Not to see how much leeway we can give them before they go off the edge. Our job is to keep them out of that danger. Most of the time we spend our mother's days and our father's days specifically focused on the mothers and fathers and how kids should honor them. I want to close today by asking you as a parent, a mother or a father, are you keeping the stagecoach away from the edge? Because that's the ultimate job. This morning, we have an opportunity to emphasize the family, to emphasize the home, to be reminded of our responsibility first as children towards parents and as parents towards children. And it's my hope that above all else, it sparks an appreciation for the father-child relationship that exists between us and God. Because our Father who is in heaven gave up his only son for you and I to be saved. Your father who is in heaven loves you that much. Do you love him in return? And if so, do you need to express that today by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen son of God, by repenting of your, your sins and being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins? Right now today we have the opportunity to become a child of God if you're not already. Won't you choose to do so while together we stand and sing? Have you a heart that's with-